Good morning, everybody. My name is Don. Um, Jared's dad. That's my claim to fame. It is so good to be with you at Desert City. I, I can't tell you how much I love this church. And uh, in this crazy time that we're in, and some of you have gathered together, it's, it's so rough to be a church, especially a new church, a young church. And um, I just pray for you often. I hope you pray for each other because um, it's like a no-win situation. Should we gather or not gather? Some people will get mad if you do. Some people get mad if you don't. Should we wear a mask or not mask? You're weird if you do. You're weird if you don't. You know, I'm just glad I'm not a pastor anymore. I hate to make those kind of decisions. <laughs> but um, I hope that as you hang together in the, these next uh, few weeks, however long this lasts, that, that you recognize the... the the, the DNA of this church is really about relationships, and even though it's not easy to be together anymore, there's a thing, it, it's really amazing, the little devices that we have, they actually, they can be used as telephones as well, and you can really call one another every now and again and uh, just check in, whether on Zoom or whatever, but with a crazy time like it is, uh, one of my main things is to be careful on social media, because there's a lot of really weird stuff out there that just kind of drags you down. But uh, in the midst of all that, I found something on social media that, that has arrested my thinking, and I didn't like it at first. In fact, when I saw it, it's one of those kind of trite, um, overgeneralizing statements that kind of cheesy, you know, but it's like some of those songs that get stuck in your head and you can't get out of it, you know, like... Gilligan's Island's theme song or the My Pillow thing or whatever. And this is what this little, little uh, quote did for me. It said something like this. And there's different um, renditions of it. Don't tell your God how big your mountains are, but tell your mountains how big your God is. Now, that just kind of hangs with me, even though I don't, I, at first I didn't like it. It's like, tell God how big my... I hope someone somewhere by now has prayed to God to let him know that our mountains are kind of, kind of big right now. So I'm not sure I have to keep doing that. And, um, and I'm not sure it's going to do me any good to just shake my fist at the mountains and remind them of my, my faith. But this is what that little phrase has done for me, that little saying. I need to remind myself who God is. I need, I need to let it get up here in a sink within the depths of my soul of, of this great God because without that, it's, it's, it's completely crazy and everything's off whack. There's a little quote by A.W. Tozer, who's a, a pastor, author of last century, um, that says this. A right conception of God is basic, not only to systematic theology, but to practical living as well. Let me just translate that for you. You're going through a series called Life is Liturgy. So a right conception of God getting the good view of who God is, is basic not only to liturgy, what we do on Sunday or what you do through a week to keep your devotional life going, but it is also all about practical living. A conception of God makes all the difference on how I live and how I face things and how I face this crisis. He goes on to say, it is to worship what the foundation is to the temple, where it is inadequate or out of plumb, the whole structure must sooner or later collapse. You could say, not even just a temple, any building, if the foundation is inadequate or out of plumb, if your life has a foundation that is inadequate or not plumb, 
Not maybe it will collapse, he says, but the whole structure must sooner or later collapse. A right conception of God makes all the difference. We have a lot of families, we have a lot of lives, we have perhaps even our own culture that's on the verge of collapsing. And until we catch a, a good conceptual view of who God is, we're in danger. So I want, to, uh, I want to bridge this subject with you today about the bigness of God and just ask you, how big is your God? How big is the God that you have in your life, that you serve, and that you know, and that you worship? How big is he? I'm going to use a uh, uh, favorite preacher of mine, favorite pastor. He was a friend of mine. He was my mentor in many ways. He happened to be my brother-in-law as well. And uh, he, uh, he's with the Lord now, but he had a message that he, in his circle, was quite famous. His name was Gerald Marvel. His, his, uh, his grandson actually took excerpts from this message, put it with photos and music, and it just been on Facebook, and it's, it's really pretty inspirational. So he has a way with words and with, with analogies and word pictures that I'm, I'm borrowing from um, today. And uh, well, along with him and, and, the, and the prophet Isaiah, we're going to look at the bigness of God. So if you have your Bibles or you want to turn them on or you want to follow on the screen here, in the 40th chapter of Isaiah, it says this, verse 12, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord? Or instructed him as his counselor? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. Before him, before God... All the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image, what likeness will you compare him to? Let me give you just a little bit of a backdrop of, of Israel at the time that Isaiah is addressing them. They're, they are being threatened in an amazing way. They're this little sliver of land nestled up to the Mediterranean Sea. And from the north, the Assyrians are coming down. From the south, the Egyptians are moving up. And from the east, the old ancient Medes and Persians, along with uh, the Babylonians, who are gobbling them up and assimilating them into their group, is threatening and coming from the east. They're in despair. They're distraught. Doom seems to be just around the corner. And worse than the threat is they're losing hope. They're losing faith. They're wondering where God is, and they're wondering what their future is. And they're about to just be consumed, not only by their enemies, but by their, their lack of awareness of who God is and who they are because of who God is. And Isaiah says, I, I've, I've got to somehow get into their minds this big God that we serve, this incomprehensible infinite, omnipotent, omniscient God, because he's got this all in control, and they've got to catch a glimpse of who he is, but how do I describe God? How do I compare God? How do I take this infinite God and describe him in a way that finite minds can understand, that finite humans can catch a glimpse of? What would I liken him to? 
What would I compare him to? Who would I compare him to? And as the Bible often does, Isaiah starts to use anthropomorphic terms which describe God, that help us get a handle on it. It's, it's just a, a glimpse into his, to who he is. Terms like the hand of God, the ear of God, the mouth of God, the arm of God, those are, those are terms that, that liken him to humanity, even though he's spirit and truth, that's how we worship him. But if we can just catch a glimpse of who he is. And so he says, let me just tell you about this God. This God is so big that he... Uh, he measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. One version says, he holds the oceans in his hands. He measured the water in the hollow of his hands. Now, I, I don't know how big God is. My hands, if, if I'm going to measure water, I'll tell you how much the hollow of my hand can use just about that amount of water. That's my little tiny hands. God, God can use... God, God can hold all the waters in his hand. That's how big he is. Our, our world, our, our earth, is 25,000 miles around. Three quarters of it is water. You would think, that being the case, that the three quarters of, of water would inundate the one quarter of dry land. But God has hung a, a moon up in, in the heavens that uh, has a gravitational pull that keeps the water at bay. Now, especially this time of year, hurricanes become a pretty big deal, and they're constantly hitting the, the eastern seaboard and coming up from the Gulf, and, and, um, and we're worried about surges and flooding and all that, but if, if God were to take the gravitational pull away from the moon, we would all be heading for high land. We'd be looking for mountains somewhere to keep from the, the flooding that's hitting the earth from all the water that is in our earth, but he has it all in control as the... As the moon is up there and the gravity is, is pulling it and the, the, the earth is turning on its axis, that there's this thing called tides that go in and out and keeps it all so reliable that when a hurricane does happen, when the Atlantic does surge over the walls of the sea, the sea walls, and, uh, it, it's, it's newsworthy. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you'll be hearing about this unbelievable thing of waters coming. And Isaiah says, let me just tell you, in the hollow of his hand, he holds the waters of our earth, all the oceans, the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the Indian Ocean, the Mediterranean Sea, the Arctic, the English Channel, Niagara Falls, if you want to throw that in there, the Amazon River, the Nile River, the Columbia River, the Salt River, the water in your swimming pool, all the waters of the world, he holds right there in the hollow of his hand. It's a big God. He's a big God. When I hear that, I, here's what I think of. There's an old, old song. Maybe you sang it when you were younger or to your children. Remember this? He's, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother. He's got you and me, sister. He's got the whole world in his hand. Isaiah was saying to Israel, yes, this is a rough time of life, but He's got you in his hands. He's got Isaiah in his hands. He's got Israel. All your fears, all your frustrations, all your anxieties. He's got this. He's sovereign and he's a big God. Then he goes on to say that with the breadth of his hand, he marked off the heavens. I love the, the old 
like King James Version that says, he marked off the heavens with a span. Now a span, we don't talk about that much, but a span was the distance between a, a man's thumb and the tip of his, of his little finger. It measured about nine inches. And um, that was a, a way that they, that they measured things. So if I'm going to measure this, this um, music stand in front of me, I don't need to get a tape, measuring tape, or a ruler. I can just go 9, 18. That's about 24 inches, probably, in, in width. Um, I can handle that. But if you want to know how far it is from Phoenix, Arizona, to San Diego, California, I am not getting out on a Highway 8 and measuring it with a span. But God measures the heavens with a span. Can you think of anything more immense to conceive of than, than the heavens, than the, the millions of galaxies in our universe? He measures it with a span. Now, if you're going to measure God's neighborhood, miles don't even work. I mean, we, we figured out a way to measure the heavens by using light years. So the speed that light travels in a year at 186,000 miles per second is a light year. 4.88 trillion, or 5.8, a lot. 5.88 trillion, I think that is, miles in a year. If you go from the far extremity of our galaxy, the Milky Way, one of the smaller galaxies, by the way, and travel to the extreme, other extreme um, boundaries of the Milky Way, traveling at the speed of light, it would take 100,000 years to go from one end to the other. In fact, I was reading not long ago that, that they're expanding that. Some scientists are saying now it might take 200,000 years, that the, the galaxy might actually be larger than what we thought it was. And while we're debating that and trying to figure it out, God just says, I'll, I'll measure that with a span. He's a big guy. And sometimes I think about how, how can he have enough love and mercy and forgiveness and grace? Not only just for me and all my sin and all my mistakes and messing up, but for all the world. How can there be enough of that? One of the New Testament writers said, where, grace, or where sin abounded, grace so much more abounds. That it doesn't matter how dark your past was, how broken your life was, how recent your sin is. His grace is so big because he's such a big God that he covers it. He's got it in control. He's, in, he's sovereign. He's a he's bigger God than you give him credit for. And then it says this. He's held the dust of the earth in a basket. Weighed the mountains on the scales. He holds the dust of the earth in a basket. I mean, you take all the, the deserts of our earth. Take the Mojave Desert. Take the Sahara Desert. Uh, take the deserts of China, the deserts of Spain, the deserts of Australia. Take, take the Sonoran Desert. Take, take the dust under your bed, which, by the way, they say is about 90% dead skin cells. It's a little bit gross, but just know that the Bible likens you to dust, and it's not very far off. But put it all in, in God's basket. I don't know how big his basket is, if it's like that, or larger or smaller. But 
the King James Version says, he comprehends the dust in a measure. He understands, he knows the dust in a measure. Every now and again, I'm thinking, how in the world, there's like, what, close to 7 billion people on earth now? How in the world does God know every person, everything going on in their life, all the things that they carry? Well, he, if he can comprehend the dust of the earth in a measure, in a basket, he knows about you, and he cares about you, and he hears you, and he knows you. He comprehends you as he does all the world. Same way with the, the mountains. He says he takes the mountains and he, he weighs them in a balance. Back in the old days in, in church, before all the new technology, we, we started church 25 years ago. We thought we were on the cutting edge because we used an overhead projector for, and some of you don't even know what that is anymore, but in the offices, when you wanted to, to send out mail or, or postage of, of, it, of some kind of a, a box or whatever, you, you had a little scale that would balance it and you'd put the, the mail on there and then you would know how many stamps or how much postage you put on that and it would weigh the, the weight of, of what you were trying to mail. God says, I, I can weigh the mountains on my scale. I can take the Sierra Nevadas and I can take the Cascades and I can take the Rocky Mountains. I can take the Mogollon Rim. I can take the Alps. I can take the Andes, the Pyrenees. I can take, I can take all the mountains in the world and I can, I can balance them on my scale. That's, that's how big it is. That's how big I am. I think about, man, if he can do that, he can weigh the balance of the burden you carry and the burden I carry. He knows the heaviness of what we feel. He comprehends that. He's a big, big God. You kind of get that idea from Isaiah? In fact, Isaiah just says, he's so big, who understands the mind of the Lord or has instructed him as his counselor? Who, could, who would dare try to counsel the Lord and give him wisdom? And I'm going, me? I do all the time. That's my prayers. I'm advising God all the time in my prayers. God, if you just listen to my suggestions, we might get out of this. I've got a better timeline for this, God, if you would just maybe hang with me a little bit and learn some, some things. I read this scripture, and I'm reminded how big he is and how, how nothing I am. And I'm going, what in the world am I doing in my prayers with God? Who am I to instruct him? His ways are so much beyond my ways. And then just about the time you, you, you catch a concept of who God is, Isaiah says, let me just put into, into, into some words the threat you're feeling with the nations. All, you got the Assyrians, ferocious warriors coming down from the north. You got the Egyptians with their state-of-the-art war machines, their, their chariots pulled by horses and these siege machines that they have. And then you have the Babylonians gobbling up city after city and nation after nation. And they're soon to be the, the strongest and most powerful force on the face of the earth. And they're all headed with you as a target. They're big, they're bad, they're ugly. You have every reason to fear. But let me just tell you, compared to them, here's what, here's what they are compared to God. They're like a drop in the bucket. They're like a drop in the bucket. If you would travel with me to the other side of the world, to the highlands of India, and there go to some insignificant little village in the mountains into a, a hut with a family like thousands in the village. 
And in that hut, the family sleeps at night, and as the sun starts to rise up in the, the eastern sky, one of the, the, the people in the family, perhaps the mother, wakes up and looks around and pulls out a bucket from a shelf and leaves that hut and goes on an insignificant path through that insignificant village to an insignificant village well and drops that bucket down into the, the well and draws water and pulls it up and starts to head back home to bring the water to her family for the duties of the day. And as she's walking, perhaps, she bumps that, that bucket on her leg and a little drop of water starts to, to fall out of the bucket up onto the side of, the, of, that, of that bucket and then drops into the, the dust of that path on that insignificant little village mountain floor. How insignificant is that little drop on the other side of the world to you? It, it is so insignificant, it's not even worthy of the word insignificant. And yet Isaiah says, when you compare God with all the greatest powers on our earth, that's what he sees them. That's, that's, you, you have a reason to be worried about that nation and worried about that nation and We've got an election coming up, and what's going to happen, and who's going to win, and what about this power and that power, corporate powers? What about the tension? What about, what about the riots? What, what about all this stuff? And in, in God's grand scheme of things, he says, I'm so powerful, I can turn the tide of a nation in a second, in a moment's time. You've got to realize, be good citizens, do what you need to do, vote, be involved, pray, do all that. But God is ultimately in control. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a way of going to redeem everything in his grand scheme of economy, in his grand kingdom. And until the day he returns, everything is fitting together, not taking him by surprise that he's actively involved in what we fear the most compared to our God is like a drop in the bucket. In fact, he says, these nations, they're less than nothing. Not even nothing. They're less than nothing. Whew. I listen to that. I read that. And I, I'm blown away. I, I wonder if God that, is that big and if everything is that small, including me, what... How do I have a relationship with the God of the cosmos? And I love that what he did in the, in the, in the, first, in the verse right before all this beautiful poetry and description of, of, of his power. He, he, he directly, almost if you would, looks into the eyes of his people, to the, to the nation of Israel, and speaks to them really of the covenant that he's had with them from the beginning of time and all the way through. And he goes... Let me, just, let me just remind you before you get blown away about how big I am. Verse 11 says this. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. How does God, how does God interact with us, his people? How does he... How does he treat us? The, the New Testament is now called the New Covenant. That, 
This covenant that's gone through because of God's people all through the Old Testament, that we see his promises, we see the way that he's been faithful to them. Now there's a new covenant, and the new covenant is not that you're born into Israel, but that you're born again into his son Jesus. That new covenant is Jesus. And as we give our lives to Jesus in faith and surrender and and as we, as, we, as we worship him, as we live for him, as he, as he becomes more than liturgy but life, the Bible says all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. So through Jesus, I can tell you this, this great God who has it all under control, who's sovereign and is at work, he tends to you like a shepherd does a flock. He feeds you. He cares for you. He loves you, he's redeemed you, he forgives you, he he crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, and he carries us like a shepherd with a lamb, I love this, close to his heart. Where are you, God? Where am I, God? Where are we going, God? I've got you, close to my heart, and he gently leads us. In the midst of all the confusion and all the fog and all the problems, he gently leads us along. He's a big God. He's a big God. How big is God? I'm not sure I know. I'm not sure I can comprehend. I'm convinced of this. There are parts of God that, that we will never comprehend. He's bigger than our comprehension. How big is God? This I do know. He's big enough. He's big enough for Israel. He's big enough for Isaiah. He's big enough for you. He's big enough for me. He's big enough for Desert City Church. He's big enough for our country. He's big enough for our world. He's big enough for the situation that we find ourselves in today. He's a big God. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, and he's got you and me, sister, in his hands. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the reminder of who you are and the reminder of who we are because of who you are. It it amazes me that you, the great creator of our world, the creator of our universe, put on flesh, became our savior. And through that, you tend us like a good shepherd does his sheep. You hold us under your heart. You lead us and carry us. Today, whether in this room or whether online, scattered throughout the city or even the nation, I pray that the bigness of our God would consume the mountains that we face and that we would leave this place and this this broadcast with a renewed faith and hope because our eyes are strictly focused on our almighty God. We pray all these things in the name of the one who loved us the most, Jesus. Amen.